When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes, hello my friends and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris, his name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, we did this after I think four weeks of the NFL season, feels like two lifetimes ago, but now even more has happened, namely some big injuries among top scorers and potential league winners in the draft. So yes, we had to bring in some heavy hitters and Eric Bym for, first of all, Eric, how you doing, man? Well, it's bittersweet, Josh. Um, we were talking a little bit before the show when you, you feel like you got the thesis of maybe your biggest draft strategy of the entire year, (laughs) pretty much correct. And Darrington Evans goes on IR the week, you know, official season ending IR the week before it this was supposed to be, if we were having this show, I would be insufferable. If we were having an alternate universe, (laughs) if we we were having this show and Darrington Evans was healthy, you probably wouldn't have invited me because it would not have been very fun for everybody else involved. Eric, trust me, I understand people who gloat, who go through bets and carry them throughout the entire year. So I would have put you on a pedestal. In fact, instead of trying to tear you down, that, yeah, that, you're quite right. you're quite familiar, right? Uh, you, yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen you go a day without tweeting about AJ Green or Kadarius Tony or <laughs> something like that. But uh, in, in all seriousness, I am excited. I am excited to do this. It does feel like four weeks ago when we did this the first time. I mean, so much has changed, obviously, this week with Derrick Henry, and but just it, it, it's crazy. And I think it's good to kind of take a step back sometimes and and just think these things through from a little more macro perspective. And Brian Hodge also joins us. Brian, we were, you know, what's the right word? Introduced to your world, your brain this summer. And I'm so thrilled that we were because I learned a lot from watching your streams and following your accounts. Um, How are you feeling? Because this is the first time we talked to you during the season. I know Eric just imparted a little bit of his own knowledge to us. How are you through, through eight weeks so far? I'm I'm doing okay. Um, I, I ran a little bit hot. I I had Cam Akers as a as a guy who I was just drafting over and over and over again, and that injury happened uh, with enough time for me to recover, for me to dump more money on the site into other players not named Cam <laughs> Akers. So I have some outs. Uh, I was basically just looking for outs there. So yeah, it's, uh, my my best ball teams are are doing fine. I think even though we are eight weeks in, I think we have a good idea of what will happen. So much can change. I mean, we were two weeks ago. We were like, "Well, if you don't have Cooper Cup or Derrick Henry, you're probably dust, right?" Or if you didn't get a Daryl Henderson team late before the Cam Akers stuff, like you're dust. But all of a sudden, people with Derrick Henry, like myself, uh, are now dust. We are no longer front runners. We are officially dust. So a lot can change come week ten. You never know. Hayden, you and I talk a lot in Slack behind the scenes just how different and how new best ball is, I think, in comparison to what we grew up on, which is season long. And since it's so fresh and so young, it's something that can't be figured out at least yet, I think, in terms of strategies, in terms of best practice. There's certainly roster construction. We're going to get into that. But even the scoring, and we're definitely going to have this conversation, the scoring opens itself up to so many different strategies in terms of half point PPR and methods. And I think we're seeing that bear out. And definitely when we get to these top five teams in a moment, you'll see that play out as well. Yeah. So it's like kind of two aspects. I think that data is going to have more and more of a purpose, the more sample that we have. And I think after two years, I'm going to be pretty comfortable with the data that we have. Obviously like when you're like digesting the tight end data, it's going to be a little bit different, but when it comes like running back to wide receivers, I think two years is going to be 
big enough sample size. The tricky part though, is the way that this format is just structured is you can nail the regular season, but if you're not correlated in the tournament, then what are you doing? So that's going to be the kind of the interest, interesting aspect. And that's where I think game theory will always be super important. Even if we do have a bunch of data moving forward, because if you aren't thinking about every little bit of how to win, not just in the first eight weeks of the season, which is our data that, that we're going to go over today, but how you're going to win at the end, then you're just punting money away. So this is going to be a game that's not going to be 100% solved. I think there's going to be edges. And I think that if you're not following these guys, you're going to be losing out on some of those edges. But the more data that we get is good, but still it's going to come down to a bunch of game theory too. And Eric, what we saw last year with, with winners was even if teams were great right now, some of those teams that got so far weren't even the top scorers in their own league and got there by getting second place. And then it's something that is almost unpredictable of what happens in week 15, what happens in week 16, what happens in week 17. And those are the true difference makers of a singular three touchdown or four touchdown player. So all the conversation we're having right now might even be a zoomed out high level roster building or construction style or best players. But then, you know, the micro detail, the, the micro week is the real differentiator for someone who's going to win the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. What what Hayden said was so perfect because it, it is, you know, I think people misconstrue because it's really hard to kind of quantify what our end goal, like how to achieve our end goal here, right? We're trying to win a million dollars in this huge contest, right? For Best Ball Mania 2. And it's like, well, I can identify like who are the good picks, like from a, uh, like you mentioned earlier, like our old fantasy football hat. Like we put our old fantasy football hat on who's the RB four, who's the, you know, how many raw points do, do certain players or certain positions have or certain teams, right? We're going to look at some of those really high scoring teams, but like scoring the most points as weird as it sounds is not the actual end goal. The end goal is in the final week to be the, 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 you know, make it all the way there and then be the highest scoring team in that particular week. That's a very different end goal than just like having the highest raw scoring team over the course of the entire season. And so a lot of those elements that we, you know, I constantly hammer home, you know, about roster construction and, and Hayden mentioned game theory and correlation and all that kind of stuff. That's when that stuff really starts to come in play. Not like, well, now when we have these bye weeks, Right. You're you might be getting hammered. You know, we thank God week seven is over. But like we, you know, we we're getting into these <laughs> that was your vacation, weeks. by the way. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> shut the world off during week seven because the, whatever I was winning, it was significantly less when I came back <laughs> on uh, Tuesday. But like all those other aspects are are extremely important as we get into these bye weeks and then we get into these playoff weeks, because the end goal of what we're trying to do here is like win this tournament. And the structure of this tournament isn't just about scoring the most points, even though that's like that's how we're like judging these things. But so it's really hard to kind of balance all that. So today's show, we're going to go through the top five teams once again in Best Ball Mania 2. There's a lot of surprises, a lot of different construction. Shockingly, not every single one has Derrick Henry. So that's something that we're we'll definitely touch on also through a bunch of different kinds of builds and starts to drafts, no running backs through six rounds, wide receiver, wide receiver starts double up at the running back or just singular anchor running back as well. Plus some conversations on Daryl Henderson. And if we corrected enough, so on and so forth. But I think Ryan, the best place to start is just really simple here. And it's the top 10 players that most often appear on first place teams. You have, the obvious ones in the likes of Cooper Cup, who was on 35% of first place teams. I mean, the jump in percentage to second place at 22% to Cooper Cup all the way at number one, 13 percentage points. That's astronomical. Um, then Derrick Henry is obviously on this list. Debo Samuel, Mike Williams. What name stands out to you here, Ryan? Because there's a couple more. And Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford as the two players with no rushing yards at the quarterback position but they were considered, you know, mid round and late round picks as well. Yeah, I would, uh, I, I mean, you know, I'd been on with you guys prior to the season going live and just talking about like, what do I want to do when I leave a draft? And I want to, I want quarterbacks who use their legs. And so that resulted in like some Jalen hurts and maybe even, you know, some DAC teams, uh, if depending on what was shaking out in the fifth and, and sixth round around his ADP, but to see to see Brady here and also Matt Matthew Stafford here, I think these are probably two of the more surprising names. It's not it's not difficult to imagine 
Cooper Cup or Derrick Henry. Like, and I'm not saying like I don't have a lot of Cooper Cup. I'm just saying it's not difficult to see him there, right? But a Stafford and a and a Tom Brady, like, I mean, these guys are just they're passing over expectation. It's just out of control right now. So for them to be this high in the top 10 is kind of insane to me. Yeah, I think piggybacking off that. I think it's hard for quarterbacks who are drafted within like the top five or six rounds to have such a high win rate. Like even like when we were going back, I think last year, Patrick Mahomes had a great season and he was drafted in like the third, fourth round. His win rate was like basically average. And there's like some flaws to win rate. So I don't like to use it that often, but for him to pay off that third, fourth, fifth round ADP, like even someone like Josh Allen, Kyler Murray having pretty good seasons here you're just like hoping to like kind of break even with those guys. And yes, there's going to be some game theory elements to like why you want them in your portfolio for the, the fantasy playoffs. But I think where the highest upside, regardless of they run or not comes in round nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Cause if you get a bunch of usable weeks, irregardless if they're running or throwing the ball, that's where you can uh, at least catch up to those top teams. So this is just, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult to parse through just because just because they're uh, not dual threat quarterbacks. But I think that just in general, finding the best quarterbacks in like the round eight through 14 range is probably um, a winning bet long-term. Yeah, Eric, there was points in the offseason calendar. And again, the draft fantasy draft season is so long now starts in May. Tom Brady was around quarterback 11, quarterback 12. He finishes the quarterback nine on underdog when drafts wrapped up. But meanwhile, Matthew Stafford at quarterback 13. That's after likes of Jalen Hurts, after Trey Lance, after even Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback 12. So getting that considerable value on an offense that we hadn't seen with this quarterback, but as Hayden knows, I brought it up, felt like every single freaking show, that if Jared Goff was up there like top six, top four, and passing yards and and passing touchdowns, what the heck was Matthew Stafford going to do here? So like we had a foundation for an incredible offense with a below average quarterback. Now you get someone, anyways, I'm going on and on here. Finding the values, not just at wide receiver and running back that we talk about, about quarterback, it's a big differentiator too. So I do think the the quarterback thing is pretty interesting. And this is going to sound like probably people are going to be like, well, duh, you idiot. But like the quarterbacks on the teams that score a lot of points, I know. <laughs> like yeah. I, I know that sounds like at like at, combine that with what Hayden said, like a reasonable cost, right? But Mahomes, we know the Chiefs. Well, I don't know if we know the Chiefs are going to score a lot of points. <laughs> we anymore. thought we did. We thought we did. But you know, th- <laughs> but paying the third round cost, right? You have to forego Cooper Cup to to mm-hmm. to get Patrick Mahomes. You know, when you're taking him in the in the third round. But when you're getting you know top five offenses and their quarterback in the right tenth, eleventh round or whatever, you know, I I, def- I, I have luckily my share, fair share of Matthew Stafford. I was not particularly in on Brady because of the, the, the rushing element thing, but it is a, a, that is one of the few kind of lessons learned. I feel like, like, you know, well, we talked before the season too, like I really like Trevor Lawrence. I obviously liked the rookies, right. The Lance and fields. And, but the problem is no, no matter how much you use your legs, if your offense is only scoring 17 points, there's right. only so much, there's only so many fantasy points you can, you can score as a, as a quarterback. So it, there is this balance. I think I'll take into next year of like, okay, I know the Rams are just going to set the world on, or at least I felt that way. The Rams are just going to score a ton of points. Right? right. And so yes, Matthew Stafford doesn't have the rushing equity, but we do have to balance that with like the bears offense might not be, very, might not be very good. So Justin Fields, you know, he has to be a total magician to be which he was this week, but that's the first time, right. That we've seen exactly. it. So it's, it's definitely another like balancing act between those two things. And after the, Buy for the Bucks last year. I mean, Bray was averaging over 300 passing yards, three touchdowns. And, and Hayden, you know this. We've looked at the charts where they just throw inside the 10-yard line almost more than any other team, considerably yeah. more. So typically, you know, that's where so many rushing touchdowns happen. They're throwing the ball in that area. Yeah. Uh, question for Ryan. So there's something to, especially, if, and this isn't like for redraft, where you're trying to, like, this is a correlated tournament at the end of the day. Should we kind of just, like, get rid of like the rushing, like adding like a more value to the rushing quarterbacks, because I think like the best possible week you can have in week 17 this year would be Tom Brady, 365 yards, four touchdowns. You have Gronk as your tight end two, and you have Mike Evans early on. Like, I feel like Jalen hurts best game. You are hoping you get like a Dallas Goddard or Devonta Smith game, but a lot of the games 
those guys aren't That's even correlated. Right? So if you are Great winning, question. you're winning at like three or four spots versus just one, possibly two, right? No, I think I think this is a really good question. And something that I was going to say is it's not surprising to see two quarterbacks here with two of their wide receivers, yep. right? And what we don't see is Godwin or is, uh, we even have Daryl Henderson here. So if you're really just onslaughting the Rams and doing proper roster construction, the way that we've, you know, kind of preached all season. So uh, I, I think it's a great point. Um, this is, this, this is a tough pill for me to swallow. I, I have always, always wanted a quarterback with legs, uh, for the last eight years. I want a quarterback with rushing upside, but as this league is continuing to throw the ball and we're just seeing people not take their foot off the gas and continue to pass and pass and pass. I don't want to say that it's, it's an outlier, but I think it's important to remember what we're looking at here. These are the the top the best of the best of the best of the best right so it's it's not necessarily an outlier but this is definitely a sample where um i don't know i it's it's tough well, and it's I, also matthew yeah. stafford and tom brady like that that there's a big difference there between you know kirk cousins back there you know so it's it's some sure it's that's that well that's a good point too the fact of these are talented quarterbacks right we we're not we're not necessarily yeah exactly so I, I do I do think it's a great, great point, Hayden, and I think it's something that we need to take into consideration more going into going into the next season's drafts. And what Eric said of just like how much like we were just so giddy over and I think Trey Lance is different because we expected that offense to be really good, but like we were very like just give me give me Justin Fields, give me Trey Lance. But it's like, are these offenses going to be good? And I think we all thought San Francisco Cisco was gonna be good. I think they had a great implied win total. Uh, for their team heading into the year. But it's just one of those things where like, why don't we just play the best plays? I know that sounds so dumb, but it's just like, let's just pick the guys who are going to be good. Uh, a comment just popped into my head that there is a quarterback that was a late round quarterback that has used his legs that will pop up on some of these top five teams. So maybe that's an area that we can focus on with that in a moment. Yeah. Uh, okay. We spent too much time on this, but Eric, I do want to bring this up. Small sample small group that we're looking at again just the top 10 players none of these wide receivers eric went in the top two rounds Mm. why uh i I think it's a combination of a couple things they've been at let's call it average close to expectation i guess i would say on all those like top two round wide receivers like no one is blowing like you know Devontae isn't blowing away the field tyreek isn't blowing what they've had some big games but they're not like blowing away the field which is also like, again, like kind of counterintuitive, but that's like why we draft those guys. Like they're not having their ceiling outcomes, but they're being, they're just, they're just doing, Devontae Adams is just doing what Devontae Adams does. Right. Every, every week consistency, right. I mean, Tyreek outside of what, like maybe one game is, is having good weeks every week. Stefan Diggs hasn't really been able to find the end zone and he's still having usable week after usable week. Right. That's why we draft those guys up there. But when you get the unicorn and Derrick Henry, in the first round, it's like, that's, that's the guy, right? Like for, for now, right. That, that this is obviously going to look very different in a month or two months, but you get that unicorn that, that, you know, Pat Crane would call it that legendary, that legendary season from a running back. That's the guy that you really want. I don't know exactly, you know, it's tough to say when it comes from the first round, second round, whatever. But I think it's just like, those guys are just being steady without blowing away the field. Obviously then when you get the Cooper cup thing, these things are kind of correlated, right? Derrick Henry's having this unicorn season and Cooper cup is having this unicorn season. And so the next thing, you know, it's like, well, obviously those Devonte Adams first round teams aren't going to get there because you, you want the combination, you know, it's this two V two different, different conversation. Okay. We talked about top 10 players on first place teams. Let's do top 10 players in last place teams. We don't have to spend as much time oh, no. on here. Oh no. Hayden, we get a lot of injured players here, obviously. It's all and, injured players. And Christian McCaffrey and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, I wouldn't say all injured players. I mean, obviously, there's Curtis Samuel, Michael Thomas. There's also some that we we misread. I mean, Trey Sermon we misread, but that was impossible to know until, you know, week one of the NFL season because he was playing as the 1B during the preseason work. Um It's a lot of San Francisco 49ers. I was going to say that. It's, yeah. <laughs> I believe I said on one of maybe the first show that we did together, I said something along the lines of if Sanford, if the 49ers suck on offense, I remember this. I'm going yeah, to I'm have to look for a new job next year. <laughs> hey, and you got Debo, are, though. You got Debo. Are, if he's a league winner. Debo, 
If Debo did not exist, I would be already updating my resume. Guys, literally, it's Debo Samuel in the top group, and then every other 49er that could have well, been drafted in the second group. Not even Raheem Mostert on here, though. <laughs> I mean, it's all yeah. the others. Well, I, I think that, that this is a good point, though, and we're joking about this, but going into the year, I always had concerns about just overall volume for this team. And I price down Debo and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, basically to the point where I was like, basically not going to be getting them very often. But this is exactly why you can't erase all players from the portfolio, even if you have volume concerns, because if injuries break your way, then all of a sudden you have a a number one. We see it like with the Mike Evans last couple weeks, Chris Godwin the last couple weeks, when AB is out of the picture, all of a sudden you have somebody who is uh, a round or two better than where you're drafting them just because of injuries. So the Debo Samuel season happened just well first of all he's very good but number two is everything literally everything's broken his way he still has jimmy g as the quarterback and he's probably a better passer than trey lance both brandon you hasn't done anything neither has george kittle and they lose raheem mustard so i think i was going to be right about the the 49ers passing volume not being there but i was going to be wrong because i didn't draft debo samuel enough so i think it's a good lesson to learn like all right just because you have some concerns you can still be right or wrong for the right reasons and vice versa. And you have to have some exposure to the players that you at least think are good at football. And we know that Debo Samuel is. Now, right now, on the other side of the question that I asked Eric in the top 10 players, the bottom 10, there's a handful of running backs that were selected in the top two rounds and Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook at 1-1 and 1-2, then even Clyde edwards Lair. There are no wide receivers or tight ends, let's say, maybe other than George Kittle, if you really selected him early on in the second round who were top two round wide receivers and tight ends. So again, I guess that stresses the consistency of those players in those positions versus how your team can nosedive if you mm-hmm. select in the early round running back. This this is what Eric was saying with the the Adams, the Diggs, the Hills. None of them are on this list, but they're they're just they're kind of at expectation, right? So like I think you're getting a lot of that when you do decide to select a wide receiver in the first round and avoid some of those running backs. What is a little bit surprising to me here, though, and I know that Kelsey has been good. I still think he's like the number one scoring tight end in half PPR formats, but I don't think he's like for his cost. I'm actually surprised he's not on more losing teams. And I'm curious as to where he actually sits in regards if it's more just like, yeah, he's kind of doing his expectation. Once again, going back to what Eric was saying, um, but also the fact that Waller's not on here. And I mean, he was like hmm. a late a late second uh, and he just really hasn't done anything either. And you're giving up so much to take a Waller to take a Kelsey. And a lot of people did that myself included very high on Darren Waller coming into the season was drafting him over George Kittle uh, loved getting him at the late second round, but I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised. I mean, he's like bottom 12 or maybe, maybe at the 10th. I don't know. I'd have to double check and half PPR scoring. So I'm kind of surprised he's not on here with how much uh, equity you had to give up to, to draft a guy like him. I bet if we removed the injured players from this list, which I'll do this offseason, both of those guys will be up. They're more Waller than Kelsey, but I, I totally hear you. I think like we'll talk about this in the offseason, but I think that defenses are starting to put corners on these type of guys that are split out wide. And last Tight year, ends. yeah, and <laughs> last year in the last couple of years, they were just like praying that their strong safety can stay with Kelsey. And like all of a sudden that's not happening anymore. So maybe that's like a big picture thing. But yeah, I'm totally with you. I think Darren Waller would be – Definitely below a uh, win rate guy. I was going right. to add uh, one, Go one more guy, Josh. Uh, sorry. The guy that I thought was going to be on there was Allen Robinson. Yes. Uh, oh, wow. I, I think yeah. I, I, outside of the injured players, I think Allen Robinson's probably the guy performing worst relative to expectation, maybe in the entire player pool. Yeah. Um, you know, guy going in the same range as CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and Terry McLaurin and, and those tight ends. Um, whatever early, you know, whatever third round running, which I guess CEH is there. So maybe CEH is stealing all the the, the crappy teams <laughs> from that from that range. But like the though, like Al, I mean, Allen Robinson is is th- what like the wide receiver eighty or something yeah. like that. On the, I mean, he, he's not he doesn't have a usable week. So <laughs> yeah. him, and you took him at the beginning of the third round, so um, he was just the one guy that stuck out to me that wasn't on there that I was surprised about. And you took Justin Fields most likely with them too, so you yeah, double dipping right. and bad stuff. <laughs> And you might you have, have a third or eleven bears. Bears. Yeah, yeah, you might take a Darnell Moody. Yeah, <laughs> but, tough. All right, let's let's dive into the top five teams right now, plus maybe an extra that are vying for the million dollars in Best Ball Mania Two. Um, if you all are interested in puppy 
stats. Nick Rudman wanted to shout out that he's going to be unleashing some of those in the Discord. So go and check out the Underdog Fantasy Discord so you can get some of the figures for Puppy and Puppy 2. All right. So as we do, we'll start off with the top team and move on down. Um, first place, B-Drizzle, 1,275 points. Ryan, would you like to guess when the number one team was drafted? Uh, I will say definitely prior to the Cam Akers injury. So uh, I don't I don't know the exact date. I mean, probably sometime in mid-July when did Akers okay. get hurt? September 6th, a fast draft. Wow. No way. <laughs> and does not feature Derrick Henry. Out of the All right. out of the 111 slot, let me know if I need to zoom in a little bit more. This person's a magician. The 111 no. slot, you can see all the way in the right side here. A Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb start to go with Mike Evans, Cooper Cup, and Debo Samuel. This draft, guys, I will go through most of the names. Rob Gronkowski in the sixth round. <laughs> the two quarterbacks of Justin Herbert and Matthew Stafford as your running back three. Leonard Fournette. As you're running back four, James Conner, there is only one player in this draft that is not offering anything because you even get a round 17 Kadarius Tony, round 18 Daniel Jones. Paris Campbell is the only player that is not contributing to this team. So 17 of 18 picks will likely get point additions here along with no Derrick Henry. I mean, this is a stud team. So... The very first thing that I look at is I go, I would literally never have a team that looks like this. And then I have to remember, <laughs> I have to remember, it doesn't matter who you're picking. It's about how you're constructing. And then I look at it again. I go, well, I would never go running back, running back out of the 111. And then 2.2 is just like, this is a, what, what an insane team, man. Stay hot. And Hayden, you and I talked about it all summer, even if we liked anchor running back, even if we believed that running back, running back starts could win the golden rule, as you put it, of best ball on underdog was to draft four wide receivers before the start of or the end of round seven here. The fourth wide receiver doesn't happen until round 10, and that's Marquise Brown. Well, there's an asterisk. If you can get the first overall, second overall, and third overall <laughs> wide receivers, and then your fourth one is Marquise Brown in the 10th round, then, you could, then I suggest doing that too. But yeah, well, Got at it. least this team is pretty – I mean, scroll down a little bit. They have yeah. Tom Brady or Matthew Stafford. I think it's Stafford, right? Stafford, yeah. So they're still correlated here. And like I think that Leonard Fournette is a player that this was a – our bias has gotten the way, and we refuse to admit that – Leonard Fournette was either an ankle roll away or just winning the job away. And he, he, they gave him like $3 million this offseason. So we were completely blind to this because we didn't like Leonard Fournette, but he's attached to Tom Brady. So like, I think this was a, a lights out pick. I think that he drafted Fournette probably a couple rounds earlier than where he was being drafted, Round which 10, is a common probably. theme here. But yeah. I mean, he, he stacked the bucks without Tom Brady, which is really odd, but um, I mean, he stacked the Rams and the bucks. So like, it can only get so bad. Right. And, Eric, there, the two first picks in this draft were just based on Q. Then after that, it was a user selection. So I don't know if this person has like the Back to the Future almanac and can see that Rob Gronkowski is the tight end and you know, 6-2 is a right selection. And then, you know, taking Leonard Fournette two and a half rounds early and ahead of Ronald Jones, who was, you know, nine running back spots ahead of him at the end of the draft cycle. This is amazing. And then not pairing it with Tom Brady. This is amazing stuff. Amazing is a word. <laughs> it is. It is and I don't mean this to sound negative or whatever, but it does just go to sh to show. I think the structure is okay. Uh, I think it's six running backs, two tight ends, two quarterbacks. So what? Two, six, eight, two. That's perfectly fine. I think he went uh, a third quarterback, but he got lucky with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones. At the uh, end third quarterback. Round. Okay. Okay. So like, you know, the structure, whatever that's, I, I think that that's, it's, it's fine. It's debatable. Yeah. I know some people prefer three quarterbacks and that's totally, and there it's, there's plenty of correlation. I think um, most of that is fine. I think there's a lot of reaches uh, based on ADP on this team, but I think that just goes to show you that like, there is an element of like, sometimes you just get the players right. Right. Like De yeah. Debo was not really going in this. This is early for where Debo was going. This is early for where Gronk was going. This, you know, it said early for where Fournette was going. 
But like sometimes that's just how it goes, right? We're playing this game that if you do enough of these drafts and you structure them at least well enough, sometimes you just hit that that lottery combination. And that's, I mean, and he didn't even hit the, I mean, at wide receiver he did. He absolutely hit the stone cold nuts at wide receiver with those mm-hmm. top three. But like Nick Chubb hasn't, Nick Chubb hasn't really done done anything. JT's been good. Tight his tight ends. I mean, Gronk hasn't played in a month. Right. You know, and Hunter Henry's been okay. But it's just like when you just hit that right combination of particularly wide receiver, I won't do the wide receiver running back thing, but when you hit the nuts at wide receiver, <laughs> like this is what this is what happens to your teams when you get supercharged yeah. at wide receiver. Now, a little pushback here, Eric, because we often talk about okay, you get the one anchor running back. And you can kind of Frankenstein the running back two spot. Here, you get the two starting running backs, the three starting wide receivers, if it all lined up. And then you can Frankenstein the flex with some other running back positions, you know. So, like, to me, thinking of running back insurance or Frankenstein that position is only going to work for zero running back or, or anchor running back. I've started to think as we go along the season, it can also work if you do heavy running back, if you start off with running back, because like Leonard Fournette fits in most drafts, maybe not here because it was an eighth round selection, but Alexander Madison or, or Devonte Booker, like you can go throw a whole bunch of names because those types of players, because there's not that much invested in them can work in any kind of roster construction. And the flex is important too. Yeah. I think I, I, that's, I think this draft was, pretty much totally fine in terms of exactly like what you're saying. And I think uh, Hayden pointed out like with half point PPR, you can absolutely start running back, running back. Like my preference, my stated preference. And we've talked about this is, is more of an anchor approach, but I, this is totally fine. And then he used those top two guys to bank on that position, right? You have to give up something. I think that's like the general thesis of what you were talking about is you're never going to have a perfectly balanced draft that has superstars at every single position. Right. So so my priority is, like you said, Frankensteining that RB2 position, because I think it's the easiest position to do that with. But that doesn't mean you can't do what you just said. Right. He he's figuring out he's throwing a bunch of darts at that flex spot. Right. He's got his quarterbacks locked in. He's got his top two wide or top two running backs locked in. And then he's figuring out how to how to you know fill that flex spot with all these bullets on James Conner and Leonard Fournette and blah, blah, blah. And so that that's really the whole thing is like you're going to have to kind of punt off a position and so as long as you do that and do it smartly any like a, a draft can work like this so i i want to give this guy a little bit of credit if i'm looking at this draft right i do think he was actually setting up for a brady stack yep he if, got you, sniped. if you look he, yeah so well he he could have taken brady instead of Fournette, but i really think he was trying to get that tampa stack and he left himself out whether so i'm i'm assuming as he's sitting there in the eighth round he goes i can take brady now or i can see if he falls to me and if he doesn't i can take stafford with it's actually the opposite way in round eight so he took leonard fournette after tom brady was just selected so he might have been going tom brady there and then getting leonard fournette on the return in round nine and he potentially could have still been there so i i think you're right where a heavy buck stack was the key here for this entire draft like His goal. mistake was the Justin Herbert pick. There was, there's was no correlation there. And he could have, if he would have picked Brady right there, that would have yes. been like reaches on ADP, but it would have been perfectly structured. I will say this guy or girl, whoever it was, didn't pick a single player on a bad team. Like, look, all of them are at least good mm-hmm. to great teams. And you can look at win totals. Just We knew all these players were on good teams here. So that was something to keep in mind. Going back to the uh, RBRB data, Josh, could you pull that up actually? Um, yeah. Uh, I think in half PPR, I think that like ping ponging the flex spot is viable. I don't like going RB, RB, RB start because even if you like somewhat nail those three running backs, the Devonte Booker week and those other weeks, the Alexander Madison week, you're basically replacing your third round pick. But if you go RB, RB start and you still have Alexander Madison, Booker and those type of guys, they're still in your starting lineup. So I think that's a difference between like robust RB and then going RB, RB, where you're still leading yourself to all those outs and the, the ping ponging weeks that you're, that you're like trying to find come from your best scoring running back or wide receiver rather than just your running backs. But I think that that strategy becomes less viable in full PPR where we know the wide receivers are just the smash spots. But I think that half PPR kind of evens the stuff out a little bit. Yeah. Maybe we can just throw this stuff up on the screen right now where it's different starts with, Zero running backs through six rounds, a trio of wide receivers to start in one, two, three. Like Hayden was talking about doubling up at running back. 
and then just an anchor running back. So a single running back through rounds one through six, the differences in points is, is very minimal in terms of average right now, but I guess that's, you know, to be expected in half point PPR scoring, maybe the max is the most interesting because teams without a running back through six rounds, the max is just over 1200 points. Triple wide receiver, just I don't over think that's fair. points, and then twelve seventy five. But again, that's all about like probably hitting one player. That's the difference. In yeah, I think we like in the off season we'll have like I'll do like the ninety eighth percentile, and then look at like how many teams like that average like the ninety eighth percentile instead of just like yeah. the, the number one. But I think that the the broad point stands uh, zero RB averaging nine forty six, like uh, RB RB nine thirty nine. If you have one running back, you're at nine forty. We're talking about six or seven points on average. Right for all these things. And I would guess that the distribution is pretty similar here. And I think that like, I don't know who at underdog decided the scoring settings here, but doing half PPR, I think was a massive win because if you're a robust RB truther, you can still win. If you love zero RB, you can still win. So basically it just comes down to, in my pick opinion, right is we'll pick the right players. <laughs> Number one, if you, if you, if you can do that come take my job, I'd love to listen. Number two is just, Understanding each strategy. If you don't understand when to go R- robust RB or what type of players you need to be drafting in the rounds 10 through 18 when you go a different strategy, you are losing because you basically need to let the board fall to you in the first two, three rounds and then pick your strategy based off of that. Um, so I think that the data from last year and through eight weeks this year, both are telling me that the difference between RB, RB, zero RB through this, it's very, very, very close and probably so close that you're kind of just like limiting your options if you're only picking to one. Eric, interesting thought here. The number of entries difference between the top two is drastic. So the second one where a triple wide receiver start, 8,600, nearly 8,700 entries in just Best Ball Mania 2 started with that roster construction. Then if you continued that start all the way through six rounds, that drops by way more than half down to just over 3,500. So that's really sticking to the complete zero running back strategy. It's funny. That was one of two things that I was just going to call out quickly is like, that's an element to, to all of this that I think sometimes goes, goes yep. overlooked is that when everyone is doing a certain strategy, if you are, you know, in the minority on the contrarian side of roster construction, right? Like the 3,500 people with like true zero running back, right? No running backs through, through six rounds. And Almost 50,000 people <laughs> started RB, RB. Yep. That's a pretty stark difference. It's right? 2007 and, again, Eric. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Uh, well, who's the guy that created uh, the Barstool guy that created zero no, running back? We're, and, not, we're not putting that out here. <laughs> he took Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis in the third round or whatever it was. Yeah, that was zero RB. But anyway, like when when there is an element to that, like, you know, uh, you know, like DFS ownership or whatever type of thing. You have yep. a contrarian, contrarian roster construction that matters, particularly as we get later in the season, right? When everybody else that's advancing has those early running backs, you know, you get last year, if everybody has Zeke and you get the random playoff week where Zeke is out and you have Tony Pollard and he goes for 30, like that's a huge, huge advantage in these. And the only other thing I was going to say is the max score of like the zero RB teams in theory should be lower at this point in the season because like you're you don't have you don't have Derrick Henry and you don't yeah. have those early running backs that are just naturally scoring more, more points to start the season but you're in theory structured to get better throughout the course of the season and be peaking in the playoff time. Yep. Totally. Right, anything you want to add here before we jump to the second place team? I don't even know if it's an ad but I'm curious do we know how many entries B Dizzle has? Um, and if, I, if, if, if I we can, can look or cannot that. share or whatever, because I'm just curious when when I see guys going two rounds ahead of their ADP, it genuinely makes me think like he probably fired five entries and was just mm-hmm. getting some of the guys that he wants. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I was telling people to do that in the offseason. When you have 150 or you're playing in both and you have 300, uh, it's totally different to just have ADP as a portfolio of players to help bring out some of the variance or just adjust to some of it. But if you're playing five entries, Dude, go take Leonard Fournette two rounds ahead of ADP. Whatever, man. Get your Brady stack and move on, you know? Like, that. that's all that I was going to say. There was 155,000 entries. I don't know how many this person in particular had, but yeah, that's just for reference. So about, what, a third of teams go RB, RB start? So it's not like it's that 
popular. Like it's more popular, but still like only a third of teams go RB RB. So I think that there's still some different differentiation. I think that there was some, some weirdness going on. Like if you drafted like uh Dalvin cook number two, then like the RBs that you're getting are only going to be CEH. And like, that's where there's some more correlation, like hidden in between that. So yep. um, going back to like this, the, the first place team, I wonder how many teams actually do have Jonathan Taylor plus Nick Chubb because both of those guys are kind of second round picks. So he plus he's probably pretty pretty unique. Yeah, I know. But just mm-hmm. those two guys to start, he's pretty unique just because most of the picks were second rounders for both of those guys. So the fact that he, even though he went with a popular build, he's still unique like within that structure. Love yeah. it. I think we can all agree that that first place team has a lot of staying power here, especially with you know Nick Chubb maybe getting. He might go to the moon here in a second. Correct. And then Jonathan Taylor now in the receiving role and how much he's pushed Naeem Hines to the sideline with that. And then to me, Hayden, Hayden, again, I reiterate this all the time, Leonard Fournette might start being mentioned in the conversation with Daryl Henderson as we move forward in terms of, you know, the middle or late round running back that just has so much of value moving forward. Um, Okay. We're going to jump to the second place team here. And just off the top, doesn't have nearly as much staying power. This is from Tim Pittman, who's only eight points behind B Drizzle. This was drafted another fast draft on July 27th. And yes, it's the 104 and starts off with Derrick Henry. Then DK Metcalf and DeAndre Swift, Cooper Cup, Josh Allen, Debo Samuel. So again, we have the Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel dynamic. Then Kareem Hunt thrown in here. Tom Brady, Noah Fant. This seems also awful. Gage, John Brown. I mean, it's <laughs> then like the final three, Darrington Evans, Xavier Jones, and Deshaun Jackson. Uh, three players who might not touch the field the rest of the season. So while this has been a great ride, the ride might be coming to an end here. That's not the case for all Derrick Henry teams. We'll get to that in a moment. But for this one, it certainly certainly feels that way. No correlation. I mean, it's just... You, you. This is why you handcuff your first round pick because Derrick Henry gets <laughs> Derrick Henry gets hurt. You get to max tilt the fact that Darrington Evans is also hurt. Yep. <laughs> we should go to the next. This team's not good. Like, there's there's nothing I can say about this team that was like this was a good process. Like you're right. you, yeah learning about this team, you were losing money. Okay. But that is Eric. sick. Like that just shows you if you pick the right guys, that's all it takes. Yeah, good luck. Eric, question for you, though. If we knew, because that team is doing so well through this long, took Derrick Henry, obviously, in round two. If we, if you knew that Derrick Henry was only going to play, what, seven games, eight games, where would you have selected him in drafts? If we knew that Derrick Henry was going to play seven or eight games, where would where would I select him? That's what that's what you asked? Yeah. Yes, in terms oh of my, like being yeah. such a productive player through those first seven, eight games. That is a fascinating question, actually, um, because so I'm going to ramble through my thought process. But it obviously the, there's the two elements of you need to win in the playoffs, right? You, 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 but you also have, you want to get as many teams there as as you can. And like last year, we had like the Todd Gurley thing. Todd Gurley had a sick win rate last year. It's just by like week ten, he was completely useless. Yeah, but he's scoring all the touchdowns at the top. Yeah, but he but he got you there, you know, and so. Um, it's probably somewhere in the range that I took all my other crappy running backs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the like 11th, 12th round or, or something like that. Like, I think you know, somewhere around there where like the quarterbacks fall off, the wide receivers are like totally dust. Oh, you're we, that we, deep. You would yeah, take way them. deep. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Because even I'm, Michael I'm, Thomas is going before then. I would go way earlier. Yeah. Ryan, earlier. what about you? What would your answer be? I, I probably like seventh to eighth is is where my immediate gut check was i don't think i want to give up a ton of equity with some of the ceilings that you can capture in your wide receivers in like the fourth fifth and sixth but i think right after that is probably where i would give up um that last half of the season to propel me to to be in the top one percent in this case and maybe maybe that's bad but that was just my initial gut check all right i'm way higher yeah me too I, I, oh wow! Well, we know you I guys love we're... your running backs. So, <laughs> yeah. well, hard I mean, what, here. Go ahead. What What do you think his win rate is going to be? Like, obviously, that's only one aspect of this, but it's still going to be. I, what was it before? Like 40, 30 something percent? Um, was it that high? If you if we went back to it, like currently, it's like a thirty percent or forty percent. It'll still be right. Yeah, it'll still be. I think like twenty five percent, somewhere that high, and maybe a little bit lower than that. Um, 
don't know, probably okay. fifth round, I, sixth round. I actually, if you think about it some more, Eric, I think we have to take into consideration of we have this piece of information because we're from the future or whatever, but we only know what Derrick Henry is going to do. So we know exactly what he's going to do versus lottery picking something else and hoping True. for something. I think that goes mm-hmm. in. This is all way too much theory crafting on something that will never, ever happen. But I, I maybe it is a little bit earlier. Maybe it is like sixth for me. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, there's some there's probably some sort of tier that you would that you should in theory drop drop. I don't know what that is, but right. there's somewhere where you would drop him in right after like you said if we had yeah like after deep like you know Debo was maybe Debo was your tier break or Mike Williams was your tier break of like these mega upside wide receivers and maybe the the quarterback tier break right there was like a uh, uh, Dak and stuff like that mm-hmm, maybe yeah. you know, Russ something like that. There's somewhere in there and like probably for me like the like a little later than you guys, like somewhere like eight through 11, round eight yeah. through 11, somewhere in there. I probably put him right behind my Trey Sermon in the sixth round. That's where I put Derek Henry. <laughs> Mike Davis, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Third place team, Eric Byam for him surprises doesn't have your username attached to it because in an alternate universe, this, this would be your selection. Uh, just 12 points in total behind first place, a fast draft on September 3rd out of the 109 spot. An anchor running back from no odd job, Tyreek Hill, Jonathan Taylor, Ooh. Cooper Cup, DJ Moore, Jamar Chase, Debo Samuel, Cortland Sutton. Then a back-to-back running back in 8-9 of A.J. Dillon, Zach Moss. Still get Matthew Stafford here. Still have the upside moving forward of Dallas Goddard as the Eagles' only tight end. Rob Gronkowski as well in round 13. And then somehow, wow. Leonard Fournette. Oh, in round Ooh. 14. So that's your easy running back to the rest of the way to go along with the stud six wide receivers in the top seven rounds. This team is insane. This is the one, right? This is insane. Yeah. Then some names towards the end. Though. I mean, Daniel Jones, even as the quarterback two with some rushing upside as we move forward. Then just to close it out, Josh Palmer, Nico Collins, and Eric Ebron. So we don't expect anything from those three. But I mean, th- this when you think of an anchor running back start and pound wide receivers through round seven, Ryan, this is the name that, and this is the draft that immediately comes to mind as like, hey, pick all the guys and good process. Mm-hmm. And then you get your second running back towards the end and it hit and everything's hot. Yeah. What's once again, what's, I, I would say what's maybe a little bit different and not quite like the first place team, but he just attached himself to a ton of good offenses, especially especially early on. I mean, we were all pretty high on Carolina. We thought that offense was going to be good, but I don't know what their implied team total was uh, headed into the headed into the season off the top of my head. But like, it's just he's attaching himself to to good teams again. Um, I have some news. If I remember correctly, and someone in the chat is bringing this up, no odd job is, is Bill Barnwell. I'm looking at his tw- tweet about it. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, there you go. There you go. All you have to do to win best one you need to is be one of the elite one of the football, best football minds writers for the yeah. last decade. <laughs> Two decades. <laughs> yep. That's all you got to do. I love Bill Barnett. That's, that's, that's good stuff. Yeah. He's a legend. That's what a team. What a four net pick. That's going to go down as one of the best picks there. Like, I think that might be the best pick in, in basketball right now. It's like all these super late. For net teams, it was it was good process and good results. Mm-hmm. That would, that's a, a a lesson learned too for for me moving forward. Is I was on the Bucks. I like the Bucks, right? I didn't really draft a lot of Brady and um, so 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 on that as a, a process. But like I I was I was stubborn on on Fournette. I really liked Geo later, and I liked Rojo around a, a similar cost, and I liked all the pass catchers better. And it was just like I'm like I don't I'm not buying. I'm not like I had a take. You know what I mean? I had a take yeah. on their backfield, and I like I I don't think that the take there was wrong anything wrong with like the process behind that take. But it's like you're just not going to be accurate enough to to write off one of the three guys. Um, when they could all, it, it could have been any of them, right? It could have been yeah. Rojo, it could have been Geo, and it could have been Lenny. And so far, it's been it's been Lenny with a splash of Geo, and Rojo just might as well go sit on the you know sit on the bus and watch everybody else play. Brian, to your point though, we're specializing in identifying offenses that we believe in. Since it's Bill, I believe that even more. Someone who you know tries to predict and believe in roster construction and how teams are built and identifying that and using that as a strategy makes a lot of sense. Now, Brandon in the chat said that it all helps when the one-on-one does what they did at the two, three turn (laughs) to the point on that though, 
where best ball is so new, this person, it's so clear when you go through their draft, is trying out a different type of strategy in terms of a three running back, two quarterback start. Because after that, this is by choice. Look at all these wide receivers that they just continue to hammer over and over and over again, just the rest of the way. So this, while it is not working, this was a clear (laughs) plan that the one-on-one had. So it's not like it was just randomly put together. This was a build that they wanted to try out. Fair? No. Yeah, but we all know that quarterback, quarterback, that early is bad. But like, if that was like tight end, tight end, then I would be like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But, but I, I get it. I, at least he he came back with all those wide receivers. Love to see it. He better have maxed both uh, <laughs> every tournament that that underdog offered in order to try something like this. I mean, everything. He better have just forty grand in entries on on, on underdog. Clear plan, be bad nearly. Plan. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Tony well said. Well yeah, said. I agree, okay. Tony. Yep. That is number three. Let's jump to number four really quick while I do some. This is another Derrick Henry team. Uh, This was, let me pull it up here. Here we go. Production on the fly. Derrick Henry team. I believe this one is out of the, let's make it here. Three spot. Three. Uh, The three spot. So Derrick Henry, DK Metcalf, Najee Harris. And then again, so you have four wide receivers or yeah. Five wide receivers, two running backs through seven rounds. Again, the Cooper Cup, Debo Samuels, Stack, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd. Matthew Stafford, Leonard Fournette. So, arguably, great team. Does this team have some staying power? I think there's a lot of thought that the Derrick Henry teams are dead moving forward. But with these wide receivers and with Najee Harris and Leonard Fournette, as you're running back too. Now there are no other running backs in this roster because it's David Johnson and Ramondre Stevenson as of now. But Hayden, does this have some I, I lasting power? Stevenson can get there. Like there's a chance if Damian got hurt. Uh, but yeah, this team I don't think is a favorite to win it by any means. But this is like going into the year. Like this would have if we were doing draft grades, this would have been an A plus. You know, like you got mm-hmm. and you got the four wide receivers through round seven or round eight. You got two stud running backs, all you're correlated. You've got upside from your tight end, which is Tyler Higby hasn't done anything, but he's been playing every down on a good offense. There's theoretical upside there. Yeah. I think that this was an, this was like the properly structured team all the way throughout. Now I'm going to bring up the fourth place team too, because it's, it's very similar in that. I believe it's a, no, so that's the same one. That's the fourth place. I think it's fifth fifth place. Here it is. Here is the next one. Cause it's also, a Derrick Henry team, but I think it has even more staying power because you have Najee Harris, James Robinson, Michael Carter, and Melvin Gordon. Hmm. That's interesting. And you still have Debo Samuel. You still have Cooper Cup. And who knows, Terry McLaurin, Odell might be cut while we're doing the show. <laughs> yeah, do we get CFL points for Odell if he gets yeah. cut? <laughs> Corey Davis, AJ Green. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at Derrick Henry teams and which one either did anchor running back or multiple running backs. And, and if somebody wants, because James Robinson and Michael Carter moving forward, and we've seen Melvin Gordon obviously have two touchdown weeks as well. So I think that as long as we understand there's a, probably a difference between like staying power in terms of advancing and, and, and having win equity, you know, because eventually, and maybe even like you just luck box your way into advancing through the first round of the playoffs. Cause right. James Robinson scores two touchdowns and, and, and Michael Carter scores two touchdowns and, you know, you get there, <clears throat> but the problem is eventually you are going to run into better Cooper cup teams, better, yeah. you know, better Jamar chase teams, better Debo Samuel teams who have better Matthew Stafford teams because that don't have, Der- that don't have Derrick Henry. Like eventually that's going to happen in this contest. Cause there's just so many teams and we're talking about league winners that were like top, you know, it's a different thing. Like last year, James Robinson, it's like he was a league winner, but like not to the, because he wasn't drafted in every draft, yeah. you know, this year it's like, dude, the league winner is a third round pick and a sixth round pick. It's like those teams are just crushing everybody. Yeah. Uh, if this name rings a bell for those that watched the first check-in, the first report card show, this play this team was in third place then and is in fifth place now. It's the only one that's oh. consistent in the top five over that time. 
So have all five of these teams had Debo? I know he's on like 18% of top 1%, but I think all five of these have had Debo. I think that might be with a Debo and Cup or am I? I I think think Debo Debo and Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I want to bring up one more before we move on um, because we only have really one team, I believe, that did not feature Derrick Henry. This is an interesting one that is from actually the 112, a slotting that we have not discussed as of yet. Here we go. Getting better at this. Hayden, while Josh is bringing that up, if you want to uh, put this in your your list to do of offseason, I would love to see implied win totals versus top top winning percent of teams or something like that. Like not even a player selection, but just just like how many teams had really, you know, above win totals of like nine and a half or 10 or something like that relative to their, to their win uh, weight rate or, you know, top 5% or whatever, something like that. I don't know. Yep. Food I can do that for sure. Yeah. So this is out of the 112. It's scoop a loop July 30th, fast draft again, the 112. And you start with three running backs, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, Deandre Swift, another Cooper cup, another Debo Samuel. Oh, a common theme here. Double up a tight end in the middle rounds and Mark Andrews and TG Hawkinson. Throw in a Marquise Brown, Jalen Hurts, and then a bunch of nobodies other than Van Jefferson. Was that eighth that. round Debo? When was this? Yeah, that is eighth round Debo, 8 1. So I needed to be drafted on that day. <laughs> <laughs> July has a lot. Like, if you really want to read into these, four of the top seven teams that we're talking about. July 27th, July 10th, July 3rd, July Pull up 3rd. that data. We have it. Pull we it do. I'll, I'll bring that up actually right now. Um, if here we this go. team wins, I'll never win a tournament on Underdog Fantasy. <laughs> I, I can tell you that much right now. <laughs> Same. Well, okay, so you guys will never draft RBRBRB. Like, never. Uh-uh. Uh, I have, but like very, very, very seldom. I think the the, the biggest thing the issue for me this year was that, and maybe I should have been, I was on Deandre Swift, but like there was a clear tear break to me. It was pretty much after CEH, which maybe it should have been before <laughs> CEH, but like it was in that somewhere in that. Cause you went to like Chris Carson after that. And you know, the Jacobs yeah. and those guys. And so like I, we would get to that spot where maybe you would take that third running back. And to me, there was a big tear break. And that was, that's where, that's where Cooper cup went. That's where, you know, that's where all these wide receivers were so more T Higgins, all of yep. those. Guys DJ, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, so that, 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 I think that was the hard part for me. Yeah. So here's the data that Hayden was talking about on, and we asked for this teams drafted before preseason, or I should even say training camp when training camp opened. And like that first day, you remember so much news hit of, of Terrace Marshall, of Rashad Bateman, of who was running with where and with who and so on and so forth. So just the differences, um, not much. Six points. Six Nothing. points. Yeah, Six points average. And I mean, obviously even the groupings, about 70,000 were drafted before July 27th in Best Ball Mania 2, which again lasted all summer long. And then after July 28th was around 85,000. Yeah. So basically on average, there basically isn't a difference. And this was basically true last year. The only argument that you can make is like, you could only get certain combinations earlier on. So like, is there value in that later on? But you're also gaining back where your 18th round pick isn't Jake Funk anymore. It's Cordero Patterson or whoever it is. Um, so I, I think ultimately, if, if you had to do 150 teams for the next 300 years, like maybe there's like a slight difference in doing it a little earlier for like in terms of tournament equity. But like, I, I truly don't think there's much of a difference at all. Like if you want to do a best ball draft, earlier or later on, I think that you can do it because you're basically diversifying the type of builds, which player combinations you're getting anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Hodge, I'm interested to hear your take on that actually, because I think it's actually a a fairly important thing, like as we head into next year, because I actually did most of my BBMs shout out to you guys for dropping all these puppies that allowed me to continue (laughs) to draft and draft and draft (laughs) and draft. But um, no, thank you for filling them. With the yeah, I, I promise I did that, and I'm not going to bring back a lot of money. <laughs> uh, but I think for like the super, you know, million dollars to first top heavy contest that's that opens really really early. I actually do want to draft more early, and not because of necessarily like this data. I, I actually am aware that like the the risk and the floor and like 
it, the edge is not maybe that much like in any individual draft, but I think doing more of my drafts early, it allows me to potentially unlock that nut combo around Daryl Henderson, right? Like we, we Daryl Henderson is like the only situation like that that we've got. Scroll up, Josh. Kind of James, kind of James Robinson a little bit, but like I want to be able to get as many shots on goal with 12th round Daryl Henderson as opposed to, you know, worrying about fifth round Daryl Henderson or worrying about fading him. So I'm actually more interested in doing more early um, moving forward, but I don't know what you guys' thoughts are on that. So, so yeah, go, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. As, an, as, as a player, I, I tend to barbell. I'll tend to get a bunch in yeah. and then I'll kind of let it sit. Uh, and that one could be mental fatigue. I mean, it is brutal having... 35 of these going at one time and constantly being on the clock, right? Or something like that. So it could be mental fatigue for me. It it also could just be, I understand that there is an edge to drafting early, whether that's player analysis, roster construction, what type of field is drafting early. And I think that's where we get maybe a little bit of a softer field later. Um, as underdog increases its marketing, as, as they're increasing their spend to fill it, stuff like that. So you're really getting in a softer field. So I think barbell is probably the best way to go, but I would be okay. Uh, and I think this is where I ended was like a little bit more early than late, uh, probably like a 65, 35 or something like that. So not too, too much of an extreme, but I do, I do want the, like you said, hitting the nut combination and it shows right here with the data. If you had a 12th round or a Daryl Henderson, like you're sitting pretty. So I know a lot of the drafts, cause I watched a lot of them during that period was theorizing, Hey, maybe we shouldn't be hammering Daryl Henderson during that period because so many other teams got him in round 12, round 11 versus what round six or round seven, or round eight. One, I don't know how, again, it's a tiny little grouping that we looked into, but none of the top six or seven teams that we looked at had Daryl Henderson on those rosters. Leonard Fournette was on those more, but also I, I, I really feel like that is going to be, a discussion topic as we hit this summer once again, because again, this is all still so new that were we just not overcorrecting enough? Like there is something to having new information based on injuries, based on depth chart changes, throwing in your mind, like, Oh, well people got him to very value that I did. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Or like, does the absolute winner have to have him? And then you just hit the nuts for everyone else and so if you don't have them, you're going to be left out no matter what. I know that was like well, a bunch of random thoughts thrown in there. But I, I do think that there's something to that, that this is mm -hmm. maybe the best example that I'm going to remember so far. It's basically like two points per, per week is the difference between 12th round and 6th round Daryl Henderson. That's what the data is showing us. Um, so I think if you the consensus was that he should have been a third, fourth round pick and you were getting him five, six, so we're getting like one, one or two round discount. And for doing that, you're basically punting two points uh, on average per week. So I don't know. I think I'm on, I think I'm on the side of just give me, give me the damn guy. Uh, but that's because there is a little bit of a discount. Now, if Daryl Henderson was a third round pick and he was going where Cam Akers was as a one for one replacement, then that's probably too big. But if the, if I want to be buying the discount, I think based off the data, it's only two, points per week i'm not sure how much that matters but obviously it, it all comes down to are you just gonna get smoked by the daryl henderson team in, in the playoffs but two 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 points one is a uh, i'm gonna give more homework to to hayden is no matter what happens <laughs> no matter what happens with with daryl henderson like he if he sucks in the playoffs or whatever um uh, i would love to see kind of like an analysis on what the teams look like yep. with daryl henderson where they you know where they got him and then like not even just like, you know, uh, win rates and all that kind of stuff, but seeing like, show me like, you know, like the cohort of the fifth round Daryl Henderson teams that advanced, what do they look like and compare them to the 12th round Daryl mm -hmm. Henderson teams that advanced to be able to actually get some finite, yep. you know, like an, like an actual look into like, let's compare it instead of like theorizing what the difference is. Let's look at it. Like, yep. did, did you give up Debo Samuel to get him? Like you probably need a D, you know, Debo Samuel or, D, you know, that kind of thing. Good thought. And then the, the only other thing I, uh, that I use uh, I don't know right whether this is right or wrong, but the fact that there are all these, you, know, you guys have all these other tournaments, puppy, you know, big dog, whatever your your price point is, you can still go get Daryl Henderson if you want Daryl Henderson. Yes, I got, and that's what I did when like yes. Puppy Two came out. He was going in like the sixth round, and I'm like, dude, I'm taking him in every single draft. 
and I'm just going to ignore him in, in best ball mania. So like my best right. ball mania Henderson teams are optimal. And then my puppy teams are optimal with, with yeah. Henderson. So that was like kind of my general approach. Like I said, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I think there's some you know nuance to that too. Yeah. I can, I oh, real, real quick. I, I can do a chart where it just looks like uh, after like training camp started, like by round, how many points teams were averaging when you got Daryl Henderson, just like see what the win rates are from there. Yeah. I would guess it's like, kind of flat ish. Um, but I could be wrong. I, I, I thought the difference was going to be a little bit wider than what it was, but it's the perfect, it's a perfect case study because yep. Daryl Henderson isn't a league winner, but you certainly are winning if you got him in the fifth, sixth round. So it's like almost like the exact perfect blueprint for this yep. type of study. I think a lot of people are going to change their minds because of this. I, th- I think it's important to go back and, and remember that, you had 60 days of people drafting Daryl Henderson in the best ball mania to 60 days of them drafting him in the 11th and 12th, 12th round. So for you to then step in and draft him in that same tournament in the fifth or sixth, I think it's just beyond negative EV. So you're taking him in a running back dead zone and running backs in general, just have these higher bust rates. So like, I think, I think it's important to remember some of that data as you're drafting, not just what we know now, but it's what has been, profitable prior to that because we're, we're looking with yeah. the lens of like we know exactly what happened over the last eight, eight weeks what if Daryl right. Henderson is the bust right Sony Michelle's getting more goal line work like yada 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 all those things that can happen in a Sean McVay like in in an offense with we're running backs just maybe he's only getting 12 touches instead of 18 that's all that I'm saying I just think it was negative EV to take him in the best ball mania when teams literally for two months were drafting him in the 12th round and there were some other opportunities too like James Robinson with Travis Etienne, but he wasn't going as late as Daryl Henderson Correct. was. And that's also a shitty offense, right? So it's not as, yeah. it's not a one-to-one. And then Gus Edwards could have been this too when, right. Yep. when, right. Uh, J.K. J. Dobbins went down. Yeah. I say, how you forget who he is. Uh, when J.K. Dobbins went down, but then obviously then Gus Edwards got hurt. So I think this is like the best case study of it. Of it. It's and easy by to the way, forget. It's easy to forget the Ravens running backs because they're on like their sixth starter. Uh, <laughs> oh, none of them on. were none of them were on the freaking team to start the year. What could have been? I joked, but uh, it does look like Odell Beckham is no longer basically on the Cleveland Browns. So, oh my gosh, you what? <laughs> that was essentially that was he's still on the roster, but yeah. wow, um, I've taken way too much of your time, guys. This was incredible, Ryan. If you could tell the people out there how they can find your work how they can hear you talk, see your face, all those beautiful things. Yeah, just give me a follow on Twitter at Ryan Hodge. I tweet everything out there. Um, Got some stuff at Fantasy Labs, do some YouTube video content for them, but at Ryan Hodge on Twitter. And you are in the CSGO streets on the Underdog Pick'em as well. Yes, always. Love love me some esports. So if you want to talk some (laughs) some Counter-Strike, I'm always down. And Eric, this is your second time on this very show for us. What about you? Tell people, I know you're an NBA stuff too. So it's, it's amazing. You have that much room in your head to fit all this information. Well, I don't have that much room in my head. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably part of the problem, but uh, yeah. Also on Twitter at, at Eric by Hodge and I are the smart people. You guys are too. You just use our name on Twitter. All these, these, all these, clowns you know putting out these random random names on their twitter but yes at eric Bynfor on twitter um and you can find me pretty much at, at spike week um grinding everything that is best ball the the discord community is what i would recommend the most the all these sick fish are are probably watching this this show but they're also in there <laughs> discussing discussing a lot of the things that we like there's constant strategic discussion and player analysis discussion and and everything like that and we'll definitely be grinding the playoff contests that are soon to come Again, everything best ball at, at spikeweek.com. And if you play any DFS, yes, I am doing my DFS work at rotogrinders.com. Best ball, the best game in the world. Mm-hmm. The best game in the world. All right. We will be back, hey and I, tomorrow for a game-by-game preview show. While you're here, everyone, I'm talking to you, Silas, Carl, Jason, a like and subscribe goes a really long way. We're on the chase to 10,000 subscribers. And the better we get there, the sooner we get there, I'll be a happier person. All right. Thank you, everyone. This has been wonderful. Keep playing on underdog, deposit match, all that good stuff. She's a promo code of the show. Ryan, Eric, Hayden, talk to you all soon. Everyone out there. See ya.